Hi, I'm Nadia DeMarco and this is my Diary of a Fit Bird podcast where we will be discussing all things fitness, food and of course the 4-3-2-1 method. Hi everyone, in today's podcast we have a very special guest, Chris Suter. For anyone in the tennis industry, you will know Chris well, but for those of you out with tennis, uh, we have with us one of the most well-known and respected coaches in the Scottish game. He has a career spanning 27 years, over which he's had many different roles, some of which we'll hear about today. He's also no stranger to a podcast as he hosts his own podcast called Chris Suter's Tennis Journal, which I would definitely check out, particularly if you're a tennis buff, but actually good for anyone just interested in health and fitness. Um, so welcome, Chris. 27 Pleasure. years in the tennis industry. Yes. Does it feel that long? It feels twice as long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been... Uh, well, in some cases it doesn't feel long, but in others... I think when you get to that stage, you actually reflect back on certain times and they do feel like another lifetime ago. Yes, absolutely. But then there's other things that is equally, you know, almost the same kind of time ago, but it feels like yesterday. Yes, It's a yes. strange one. But uh, yeah, it's been a long old shift. And so I suppose let's start with telling everyone a little about the kind of different roles you've had in tennis because you've had quite a, a kind of wide career. Yeah. Well, I did, I suppose, I did what I think a lot of coaches should do, okay. which maybe we can talk about later, but uh, in terms of I did everything. Okay. So that first first four or five years was very much what I would consider an apprenticeship, where okay. I did every type of coaching possible. Uh, and I don't even want to say from to, because that creates like a hierarchy. Yeah. If I think of it more like flat surface, I did... Uh, club players, junior adults, I did all ages, all stages. Uh, within the club, I did uh, special needs coaching, uh, like uh, I think it was called over 55s at the time, but essentially it was retired people's coaching. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose my most um, people would mostly know me from working with players that compete. Okay, cool. So the, that was the kind of route that I wanted to take, but I did think that it was important to experience everything that tennis had to offer mm -hmm. to because you can learn so much from all those different areas. If, if anything, I think special needs coaching is like turbo coaching. It's the highest level of coaching, genetic yes. coaching skills you can have. So I learned so much from that uh, and really... Did coaching, as most people would know it, for about 18 years. Okay. And okay. then I, the last 11, 10, 11 years, have kind of gone down into this coach education world. So that's probably what most people know me for now, is yes. working with coaches. But I still, at the core of everything, I still think I'm a coach. Yeah. Do you ever miss that kind of grassroots coaching? I Well, I, I do, but I'm lucky because... I manipulate as much as I can <laughs> so that I can do that through coaches. Okay. So yes. my favourite type of work is working with coaches and their players. Okay. So that keeps me, my feet on the ground, if, or yes. feet in the trenches would be the better way yes. of saying it. Because I never want to be 100% coach education. Mm -hmm. uh, some people can take this the wrong way, but from my experience, it doesn't take long for you to fall out of, touch with things and trends and you your anecdotes soon get old if you're talking about things that happened 10 15 years ago yes. or longer so 
I think it's important you keep yourself sharp when you're coaching Absolutely. that you're face to face with people and it's not theory based mm-hmm. you know I think obviously you need to work based around um, methods and principles and so on but mm-hmm. I think the anecdotal the vocational stuff is the most important thing absolutely I think that's the same in personal training you know I, I obviously do a lot of online stuff now yeah. and so I train people remotely but I still think it's incredibly important that I have a one-to-one base and work yeah. with people in person because exactly like that I think when you step away from that too much yeah. you stop learning yeah, and you totally. stop working with all different types of people yeah. and and it's the only way to get better because mm. you always come up I mean I, I've probably been a personal trainer nearly 10 years now and you always come up against a new challenge yeah. all the time even after 10 years and I'm sure you still find that after yeah, yeah, yeah. you know 27 years yeah. And the kind of only way to stay fresh on that is to actually yeah. be there doing the work. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can't be somewhere in the background or behind yeah. a laptop. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and if you get like I, I have this conversation a lot with people in education, I mm-hmm. think, and it can be a contentious one because if you're purely from an educational world, that is everything that you believe in, and so on. So mm-hmm. people almost take offence to it, but. I'm a strong believer that it's not what you know, it's what you can do with what you know. Yes. So it's your practical ability as a coach that will set you apart from someone that just knows a ton of stuff. Now, I you, you need to know it and then uh-huh. practically apply it. So it's not dismissing the fact that, yes. uh, that the information is important, but I do see a lot of people that carry around a lot of information but the percentage of that information they can practically apply and like you say with different people and personalities and situations and well you'll know as well in PT the the time that you intervene if you like in terms of where they are physically mentally is so important it's not just a one size fits all absolutely absolutely that's a that's such a key point you've hit on there because sometimes uh, when you train a couple of people together, you know, two or three people, somebody will be saying, they're not, Nadia, they're not doing that, yeah. that the right way. Yeah. And, and I'm like, don't worry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you, there is a, you ha- there is a nuance yeah, to yeah. what you pick up on yeah. and when yeah. and what if you constantly pick up on everyone's faults you're not it, it's yeah, just yeah. A, a terrible experience for yeah. them so there is that is part of coaching in every totally, in yeah. every single sport is yeah. when to step in when to leave it what's the right time to progress to yeah. the next stage um and and that is something that that you can't be taught. Yeah. It is just learning, working with people, yeah. understanding and understanding them as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. um, which is why I think relationships are really important Massive. in this kind of these kind of jobs as well because yeah. uh, you start to understand that person and what they respond to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is, I think, such an important, yeah. such an important factor. Yeah. The, I tend to be overly logical for my own good sometimes, <laughs> much to the annoyance of people. But um, <laughs> I, I do think of coaching as simply you take someone from one point to another yes. and th- therefore you might have a situation where you can see the potential in someone and you can see the end product if you like mm-hmm. and then your skill as a coach is how they navigate or bridge that gap between yes. the two things and that for some people can be 
very smooth and seamless almost Mm. and for others it can be a bit of a rocky road and I think because you'll know the people you know right it might not look pretty or feel great now Mm -hmm. but believe me it will yes Uh, and it's just navigating that and I I likened it yesterday with a coach I was working with them to understanding the ripple effects of what you do because they were coming at it from a very theoretical biomechanical standpoint Mm -hmm. and everything they were saying was correct I said but if you you've come at it with maybe five or six different things. Mm -hmm. If you'd come at it from this one, that would have rippled to, or domino effect to knock off those four or five or six. Absolutely. And then when we did it, it was like, oh man, but that is experience. That's the difference. Absolutely. Sometimes that's just all the difference, isn't it? And and being able to read a situation in a kind of different way. Yeah. Um, And so now your role has kind of changed slightly again because you're working with the Judy Murray Foundation. Yeah. And how how is that going? Fantastic. It's amazing. I touched on it in terms of the... Like, or the analogy of disability work but mm-hmm. it, that type of work is way more grateful than the performance world shall we say where yes. there's a little bit of an entitlement factor I don't know if it happens in other sports I kind of think it's starting to creep into other sports even I've heard a lot of football coaches mm-hmm. say recently that okay. the, the the, co- uh, the players are starting to get that entitlement where they maybe used to have to clean the boots and all yeah, that kind of absolutely, stuff yes. but the um uh, so the work I do for the Judy Murray Foundation is really setting up projects around Scotland where we are t- essentially building workforces mm-hmm. uh, out of the local community, and that's the key thing. It's not okay. it's not parachuting coaches in. It's it's looking at what they have, what they need, what they want, uh, and actually looking for opportunities to build. It could be volunteer workforces out of the local teachers. Could be other sports coaches. Could be. S4, 5 and 6 pupils so mm-hmm. if you're listening to this from uh, England or further afield that's like 16, 17, 18 year old yeah. school pu- pupils that might be thinking about um, potential careers in sports coaching mm-hmm. and so on it is anyone that is in that community and we will train them up to deliver whatever tennis uh, type activity they can mm-hmm. to create essentially a culture of tennis within that community but I think the the biggest thing and I was saying this yesterday in a meeting we've been let's say live for about 18 months Mm -hmm. but we've really been active from probably the start of this year Mm -hmm. 2019 Um, and the biggest barrier has been breaking down the perception of what we're all about. Okay. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a fundraiser, and if I had a pound for every time someone said, oh, you're trying to find the next Andy Murray, then we would have a lot of money going (laughs) into the foundation. (laughs) So there's still this perception, and it's quite right. It's perfectly logical, because Judy is the the founder of the the foundation, and Andy and Jamie have been such uh, phenomenal successes. Mm -hmm that people assume that what we're trying to do is find the next tennis superstar Mm -hmm. or even just um, create lots of tennis players. Now, of course, that would be a byproduct, but because we're a charity and our drivers are so strong, Mm -hmm. what we're really trying to do, and this is going to sound a bit cliched or cheesy, is that we are literally trying to find opportunities to change lives through tennis. Wow. So it's not just about getting rackets in hands and having people experience our sport of course that's a big part of it but what we're doing as a charity is actually going into local 
communities and looking at the potential in people Mm -hmm. and trying to either keep them on the path they want to do and smash it Mm -hmm. or get them on a path that they had no idea was even possible. So it could be someone that is in the east end of Glasgow has never even thought of tennis, but now we have a couple of courts in a primary school playground and it becomes a possibility and yes. they and they go on to do their level one coaching qualification, start to assist in summer camps or holiday camps, and then all of a sudden are like have a career. Yes. A, a potential yeah. career, whether it be part time or full time. I think the more people we can actually open their eyes and see what the possibilities are mm-hmm. and the benefits of uh, the the lessons that you can learn through tennis and this, it would be the same in fitness yes is the better uh, and our four drivers uh, just to give a, a for me it really cements it all and um, we look for opportunities to build relationships and connections within that community and mm-hmm. uh, there's the strengthening the health and the well-being of the people involved yeah, whether so it be important. massive mm-hmm. whether it be the the drivers of the activity and it's the ripple effect again isn't Absolutely. it it's like you we invest in the workforce who invest in the, the participants uh, and we grow it mm-hmm. together that way. They, therefore, we're trying to broaden the horizons. So it, again, it's like open people's eyes to see opportunities where they might never have considered them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of within all of that, we're looking at all the different skill categories that we can help develop. Yeah. So not just the tennis skills, but leadership, communication, um, you know, the delivery you know the organization all that type of of stuff so that kind of gives a bit of an overview of it but it is the most rewarding work yeah uh, in terms of the looks on some of the kids faces when we train their parents and they play with them afterwards the the gratitude that you get for simply being there because people think i can't believe you're here you know they and they'll say it you know we've got the van and we jump in the van and take it to them and it really reinforces how important it is to show value in people because if yes. they get that, if they get, let's say, ignored or beat down mm-hmm. by the fact that no one's paying attention to them or not appreciating the hard work that they're doing, it doesn't take much to flip that around. Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the biggest things. It's people, the, the initial disbelief of, oh my goodness, you're actually coming to help us uh-huh. uh, it doesn't cost them anything you know wow. everything we do is with partnerships so it means that the actual activity is not they don't pay for it mm-hmm. uh, and the, the knock-on effect of it is almost instant the confidence the the, the, the kind of way people carry themselves yes. and then the knock-on effect of it takes I, tennis i think the that's one of the most important things about all sports yeah. i think a and, and fitness is people who aren't into sport or sometimes find sport very intimidating Mm. because they think it's not for them and I'm not sporty I've talked about this quite quite a lot before Um, and they see this real barrier but actually sport is about participation it's about it's not just about the game it's Mm. about everything else you get from it like you're talking about leadership Mm -hmm. community friendships even Um, and I think sport in general is so important Mm -hmm. for that but what I find really interesting about tennis um is tennis is perceived to be so elite. Yeah. It really has this perception and yet it's there's no barrier no. to entry at all. No, you no. need a racket, yeah, which are yeah. cheap as chips. Yeah, yeah. 
and there's free courts everywhere. You yeah. know, if, if you want to find one, you will find one. Yeah. And I always find that really, really interesting um, about tennis. And um, presumably that's part of what the Junior Foundation is trying to sort of break down yeah, and say, totally. actually, it's so easy. Yeah, well, our focus is around socially deprived and rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, a lot of it is breaking down those barriers. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it is accessible and it's actually a very inclusive sport. People Absolutely. can, it uh, doesn't matter what your capabilities are, there's something in tennis for you. And also it's a, a sport for life. Mm-hmm. You can play it, uh, you know, God hope that you live to be in your 90s or whatever. You can play Absolutely. tennis when you're in your 90s. And that is something I say to Julio all the time yeah. uh, because I, I used to play a lot of hockey and I've got lots of clients who used to play a lot of football, rugby and age eventually stops them yeah, yeah, yeah. because what happens is you tend to... Be, you still have to play younger people. So yeah. if you're in your, if you're a rugby, a guy who's played rugby, mm. and you're in your forties, there's a guy who's twenty that's yeah. tackling you. It's yeah, not yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, and what? And so at some point, people stop sports. Yeah, you know, yeah. They maybe continue into their twenties if you're lucky, and then they all these other sports. I think kind of phase you out because there's yeah, not yeah. enough older participants to yeah. create an older league and yeah. stuff like that. But I've got friends um, who play tennis, and uh, of course, Julio. And what I find is incredible about tennis is age is never a factor. No. Because at whatever age you are, you can play someone yeah. that's the same age as you. Yeah, you're yeah. not having to go out and play a 20-year-old if you're yeah. 50. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, it, and it's because it's not so physical. Yeah. You know, like rugby, someone's landing on you. It's not that physical. That there's no there's no barrier there. Yeah. And you can play it your whole life. And I always find that really interesting about tennis. I don't think people talk about that enough. No, definitely Because uh, that's just an observation that yeah. I had. And, and, and Julie and I have spoken about it. Because the old, my only female friend that still plays sport is a tennis player. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else goes to the gym. Has, yeah. Okay, they do. They now maybe run. They've had to find different things yeah. that suit their age, lifestyle, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. She still plays tennis regularly, yeah. goes to a club, yeah. you know, and uh, it's still a big part of her life. Yeah. And I think that that's really, really important. Yeah, you're right. You know? You're 100% right in that it's not talked about enough. Yes. Because for me, it's like a huge selling point for tennis. Absolutely. And it's also, as you've said, unique uh, mm-hmm. to our sport. And also, when you take away the age thing, you can actually, there's a, a competitive uh, rating system called UTR mm-hmm. which is universal tennis rating and I think the ITF are coming out with a, a WTN which mm-hmm. is a world tennis number I think uh, and the idea behind that is it's level based rating so you could be like I'm 46 if I enter with my rating I could play against a 20 year old of my level yes okay yes. so, that's, le- so uh-huh. that's another unique thing because yes. it's uh, as much as it's not a contact sport, you are still making contact with a ball and you're making, unfortunately, contact with the ground, <laughs> which my legs don't like now. Um, so the, the, the physical things can, let's say, decline yes. as you come out of your peak years, but you, will, you can still f- play against someone who's maybe their level is not as good. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this. Their level might not be good as my level was, mm-hmm. but it's a level playing field because of the physical. Absolutely, yes. But yes. then hooking back into the fitness, it makes me think, right, well, I'm a believer you get fit to do something mm-hmm. as well as just the well-being of it. So for me, it would be an incentive to invest in my fitness mm-hmm. 
because I know that would pay massive dividends to get my level up. Yes, So yes. there's so much movement that you can do in tennis. It, it's fantastic in yeah. terms of the levels and the, the stages. Absolutely. Um, we touched a little on this when you were talking about the Judy Murray Foundation, but how important is it, do you think, for families to get involved in sport with their kids? Yeah, it's huge. Okay. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in the industry in the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years is that it's become a programmed thing. Mm-hmm. So coaching in itself has actually become an activity. So people all around the country are saying, I play tennis, but they don't play. They don't compete. Okay. They actually yes. just get coaching. Okay. So for me, and again, this could cause offense to somebody, but you're not a tennis player if you're just getting coaching. I don't even know. You're just a coachee. Yes, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So the, you might... And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's entirely mm-hmm. up to people. It's freedom of choice and whatever. But the the downside of the pro... Or one of the downside of this programmed culture or mm-hmm. that we live in at the moment is that the era of people playing as a family when they were young mm-hmm. and coming into the sport that way is declining if not gone Uh so if you hear any tennis player from the ATP and WTA from maybe the age of let's say I'm going to say around late 20s early 30s and older Mm -hmm. talk about how they got into tennis most of the people will say because my mum and dad played yes whereas I think the generation after that it will be oh there was something on at the club uh, my mum and dad just put me into tennis uh-huh. lessons. It becomes another drop-in activity, as you'll soon find out. Hello, that. Um, do you mention his name? Yeah, yeah. That's right. The um, that your week becomes calendared. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like on Monday they do swimming, on Tuesday they do gymnastics, on Wednesday they do running club, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So the what happens is the families don't play together, and I think that the knock-on effect of everything we talked about in mm-hmm. that foundation and in, in the Judy Murray Foundation yes. is that the benefits of families playing together are not just for the kids. Yes. It's for the mums and dads. It's for the connection between the pa- parents and the kids. Absolutely. It's also the sense of community when other families come together. Mm-hmm. So we, we've done events in a park in Glasgow, Mary Hill Park, mm-hmm. where we've had 40 families from all different... Uh, Backgrounds come That's together. Go knows how many different languages, you know, like eight to ten different languages. Wow. But we don't need to speak the same language if we're playing. Yes. So it, it's very visual. Everything's demonstrated. It, there's no right or wrong. It's like, here's an idea. Go try it. Here's the next progression and so on and so mm-hmm. on. So, you know, the, that families coming together, in a way, what we're trying to do is formalise what used to be informal. Yes, aha. Uh-huh. Yes. But if that's what it takes, then that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. But I do feel we're on the cusp of a change in in definitely in Scotland mm-hmm. where so many people are talking about it that action is starting to take place in terms of this connected families yes. and community and so on that I think we'll start to see a, an effect in the next five to ten years. Yes, and, I, and I, I would completely agree with you. I think when the family gets engaged in anything, yeah. it grows and yeah, it, yeah. you know and it becomes you know I even see it with with clients if if they're if it's important for them to be fit and yeah. well that translates to the children yeah, the children yeah. want to be active yeah. they're more inclined to get up off yeah. the couch and start watching yeah. tv and things like that so the family is such an important is such yeah. an important part of it um 
but you, you obviously we talked a little about the formalizing of coaching how coaching has become such a big thing yeah. um but what I wanted to ask you about because you work a lot with coaches mm-hmm. and this is something I see in the fitness industry all the time and, and I know I've, you've talked about this a little on yeah. social media but is is the 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 kind of difficulty of the industry mm-hmm. you know because for for personal trainers there's a low barrier to entry the, the qualifications are, are fairly easy to get yeah. um, and what happens is there's lots and lots of personal trainers out there but there's also an incredibly high turnover. Yeah, Most yeah. people last two, three years in the industry because yeah. it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to make money. Yeah. It's tough hours. Uh, people can let you down and cancel mm. and, and, and that really affects your income yeah, weekly. Yeah. Um, and I know, um, obviously from Julio, that, that there's another barrier as well for coaches in terms of liaising with clubs. Yeah. And how do you find... The, the coaching industry in Scotland do you think it's tough out there for coaches for tennis coaches it's tough on the flip side of that before I unpack the million <laughs> things that we can speak about here the just to hook on that word tough anything worth doing is tough yes absolutely you know what I mean it's like this whole idea I, re- I watched a great video on social media recently I think the guy's name is Gary V oh Love him, yes. It's a bit of a (laughs) wild one, right? Yes. But I liked what he said. Somebody in the audience asked him about passive income. Mm -hmm. And he said, what do you mean by passive income? He's like, well, I want to be sitting on a beach in Mexico instead of uh, working till 10 o'clock in my office in Sweden, I think he was in. And the guy was like, are you joking me? He's like, that is a total myth, you know, that you've got to work hard, invest, you know, like sacrifice and all that sort of, so that, we park that aside because, it, you know, there's not an easy way of doing anything absolutely. if you're going to do it well. Yes, absolutely. But the, the realities of tennis coaches is that, first of all, 99.99999% of them are self-employed. Yeah. So there's not a real concrete career path in terms of employment. Mm-hmm your main employment opportunities are through governing bodies, maybe through local authorities, uh, maybe through private, uh, the private sector like David Lloyd, you know, there's a few opportunities there. But in total, that is, like I say, 0.0001% of the total uh, coaches. So that that's the first thing. The second thing is that it has, because of this program thing we talked about, mm-hmm. become what I consider a gig economy. Yes, yes. So people think of, if I coach you for an hour, that's a gig. Mm-hmm. If I can get 40 gigs in my diary a week, then happy days. Even just that alone is not healthy because, as you said, people can cancel. Uh, there's no... People, coaches quite often, I think this is why they go through the turnover, they, I say greedy is not the right word, but they quite rightly think, well, I might not work next week because it might snow. Absolutely. So I'll do the odd weeks where I'm doing 60 hours on court and so on. And all of a sudden they do 60 hours a week times months and they've got maybe, well, hopefully want to have a social life. They might have a partner. They might have family. Yes. Uh, they don't get to see their family. They don't get to have their social life and so on. So it causes bitterness mm-hmm. and resentment. Uh, it, it's not sustainable. So yes. people will uh, go through patches where they just will either jack it in, as you've said, yes. or they will actually, uh, in some extreme cases, have breakdowns yeah. or get ill yeah. You know, quite often. just I'm just going to interrupt sure. you for one second. Uh, 
to sort of point out to people that when you say somebody's doing 60 hours on court, yeah. that doesn't include admin. all, all their admin, no, all no. the managing and yeah. running of the club. Yeah. So that's 60 hours physically yeah, on yeah. the courts. So that's hard graft, yeah. plus however many more hours, yeah. maybe 20 more At hours least. in the week yeah, yeah. that they need yeah. to actually run the club, deal with yeah. parents, deal with you know, uh, teams, you know, yeah. it's a massive yeah, undertaking. Yeah. I think people don't understand right. the work that goes in off the court yeah. as well as on the court. Well, it's a great point because you, let's say, I'll say young, for lack of a better word, or inexperienced coaches yes. don't appreciate that when they get into it. Yes. That for even for every hour, you might have 10, 15 minutes admin. It, because it's so hidden, Yes. even if it's text messages here and there or emails or replying on phone and whatever, when you add up all those tiny little minutes here or there, Absolutely. Uh, they, they turn into multiple hours, dozens of hours a week. So, yes. yeah, it's a great, great point. The The third main thing which you touched on is that unless you are unbelievable entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you're never going to actually own a tangible asset type business. Yes. Now, what I mean by that is you're always relying on running your program out of a club or a facility. So let's say, for example... If I was a publican and I own a bar and I put in the hours and da 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 and of course I bought the business, I run it, after 10 years I can sell that business because it's my bricks and mortar with the business enwrapped within it and I can sell it for hopefully at least what I paid for it if not more. Yes, yes. You could work, let's say my company is called The Service Box, let's not just say that, it is called The Service (laughs) Box, right? So, So I've had The Service Box as an actual limited company for... Um, 14 years right so 14 years ago limited company it's a successful company relatively speaking mm-hmm. uh, it makes x amount of turnover and so on if tomorrow for whatever reason i want i can't sell that company yes you know so it does it's not attached and it's me mm-hmm. you know so yes. and i suppose it's the same for any tradesman and self-employed people but dealing with and i'm going to use the word deliberately dealing with clubs Mm -hmm. dealing with committees or people in clubs Mm -hmm. um, can be an unbelievably stressful situation if you think of a coach the essence of a coach as we've talked about is to we tend to the needs of uh, other Mm -hmm. people but very few people tend to the needs of us yes so now if you're listening to this and you're in a tennis committee you're probably going to be going but i do respect and value the coach and so on so it's not to tar everyone that same brush but there are unfortunately more and more situations and probably more in the last four or five years than ever before where committees are literally working against the coach so because they think that the coach has either hired help they resent the coach making money out of their their club there's a slight irony in that a lot of people that are on the committee of tennis clubs are very successful people in their own right, but because of that, they will try and apply business acumen to the club, which doesn't always fit well because they've got this other, I don't know if the word dichotomy is the right word, but it's their hobby. Yes. You know what I mean? So you could be an accountant who is very successful and you want to apply accounting theory and or business principles to the, the club, which is great. But you then, in the same token, resent someone trying to run a business within your club. Yes. There's, a, there's a real yes. clash in there. So Absolutely. it's a it's a tough 
it's a tough world I think that mm-hmm. self-employed sports coach yes um, yes you know in a way it feels like a union is required of some sort you know yeah. like a standardization I think the biggest thing that could happen in tennis is trying to find ways of giving either part-time employment for certain roles mm-hmm. and then they make up their um their the rest of their income through the hours they generate through that yes, yes. part-time role mm-hmm. so it's a model I think works well in, in other parts of Europe right you know, okay. so you get ex-retainer or you know I always think contracted retainers or whatever you want to call them are a good way to go because employment can be a a kind of particular thing mm-hmm. For a small club, it feels like a big risk to, to employ yes. someone, yes. but to write up a contract, there's less risk. It, quite often, it's like, could be very short notice given by either party, so yes. it's not massively as binding as employment law is now. Um, but I think, going back to what I spoke about earlier, it shows value and it shows faith in mm-hmm. the person if you say, right, we value... Uh, we recognise the input you can have to this club, yes. that you're going to help us grow... In return, we want to invest in you and we want to see that you have a healthy work-life balance Mm -hmm. and that on top of that, you can supplement your income by delivering the work that this contracted hours will actually generate for you. Yes, yes, yes. Because clubs, no club loses out by investing in their coach. No, absolutely not. You grow the membership, everyone's happy course there's going to be little gripes here or there but fundamentally everyone's happy yeah yeah it's a tough it's, it's a tough one it, yeah it's it, it's it, there are the same problems in in the personal training industry although slightly different because you don't necessarily have a, a committee to answer to yeah, but yeah. certainly a lot of um personal trainers are employed you know yeah. within clubs and things um but it, it there's very little job security yeah, yeah. that's the thing yeah. and what i also find is like i'm quite business minded mm-hmm. I like that side yeah, of it yeah. um, but I think sometimes the problem for uh, both personal trainers and tennis coaches is they get into it for the love of the yeah, sport yeah, yeah. and then they find themselves running a business yeah. and actually that's not what they're passionate no about <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know that's not what they're interested yeah, in they, yeah, yeah. they'd probably rather just be paid and get yeah. to do what they love yeah, yeah. and a lot of them I think that they find that hard yeah. I think in both industries yeah. Um uh, but touching on the 4-3-2-1 method, Chris, as some of you uh, might know because he's posted about it a little, is uh, the most recent 4 3 2 one convert. No, no. The most recent. <laughs> is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Maybe not the most recent, recent but I, I yeah, recent. Yeah, very recent. Yeah. Uh, 4 3 2 one convert. Yeah. How is that going? It's going really well. I would say it's... Um, it's had its highs and it's had lows that have been my fault, if you know what I mean. Okay. I think the reality of my working life is that I am here, there and everywhere. Uh, there's no two weeks of the same. You know, for example, next couple of weeks I'm going to be in China. Uh, you know, so it's like... Yes. China. Well, it was meant to be until recently, Portugal, China, then India, pretty much back to back. I'm in hotels two or three nights a week quite often. I'm, like today, I'm probably going to do six hours driving today. You know, so yeah. it's, it's quite hard for me to have a routine. Yes, but on the flip side of that, I'm not one for making excuses. So I take it completely uh, on uh, my own responsibility. But the the great thing about what you are doing is you are 
at least making it easier for yes. people like me to, to follow it. Okay, cool. So the workouts, for example, are really easy for me to do because I could be in a hotel room, put my, my uh, headphones in yes. so the next next room doesn't <laughs> think I'm nuts. And I can do the, the workouts, you know, yes. no problem. The hardest thing for me has been the the planning of the meals. But I would say to anyone listening right now, it is the most worthwhile 10, 15 minutes you could do every week. Yeah. I've, I said to you before we started recording, I've done two or three weeks where I've literally printed off the planner, filled it in, and it has been monumentally different for my wife and I because yes. we're not stressing or thinking about what we're going to be eating. Even though we've not made it, mm-hmm. the decision has been made and it's actually a weight off the mind. And then, of course, the knock-on effect of you actually are more disciplined with what yes, you're absolutely, eating. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. And when you're eating, it, it's really been a, a big thing. So if anything, it sums up, the com- maybe it's just me, but the complexity of us silly humans that I'm recognising how important that 15 minutes is to plan every week's meals. Yes, yes. And I've only done it maybe three out of the last six. I mean, you're not alone, Chris. <laughs> if I can tell you one thing for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not alone. Yeah. My uh, the people that I see weekly will know that the all I say to them is food plan. Have yeah. you planned for the week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you're right. It is. It's it's a tough thing to do because I think a lot of it is it's not the time. It's the fact that you've probably got fifty thousand things to think about. Yeah, That's yeah, what I yeah, find yeah, certainly yeah. with with, yeah. with most people is. It's like, it, yes, that will only take 15 minutes, but they've also got a million other 15-minute yeah, 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 yeah. jobs to do, if yeah, you like, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but, but I think you're right, it is, uh, it is time well spent. Yeah. It is time well spent. Well, I hope that you keep progressing with it. I'm sure I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be really good. Yeah. And you can kind of give us some feedback about how it goes. Obviously, you're still very early in the yeah, process. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time Pleasure. today. It's been such an interesting podcast i'm really glad that we got the time to do this and so thank you so much for taking the time really appreciate it my pleasure thanks for joining me on this week's diary of a fit bird podcast to follow more of my journey join me on social media at diary of a fit bird or to learn more about my methods go to the 4321method.com